Hello and welcome to the studio. I'm Chloe Tilly and this is Rethinking Success and Failure in Your Digital Journey. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Um, let's begin by thinking about the successes in your business. Uh, don't look shocked, Jackie, it's all right. Um, <laughs> what would you awesome. say? <laughs> yeah, but let's think about that, sort of the successes on the digital journey so far. Who wants to start? So I think, first of all, uh, I think we need to recognise when you do digital transformation, 80, roughly 80% of them do fail, right? Um, and there's lots of lessons to be learned from that. And it comes back to how do you make it successful? So to make it successful, you have to deliver business outcomes, something that really makes a difference to the business. It's not necessarily the techie bit or the tech part. It's about how you're changing your organisation to provide a service. So successful ones, the question you actually asked me, Sorry. Um, we've just completely changed um, the product offering that we offer at Royal College of Art. Um, so we've changed the master's programme. It's now run over one year instead of two years. That's a massive transformation. Digital is a massive part of that, but actually it's really changing the model. So to make that successful involves every part of the organisation. So when you talk about um, transformation, it's not just the techie, it's the business change. It's every part of the organisation understand, understanding what you're trying to achieve and all being driven the same way with obviously tight timelines. So yeah, that's um, a quick overview. What about you, Danny? Uh, so I'm at the London Business School, but I'm relatively new there. So previously I was at Anthony Nolan, the stem cell register and blood cancer charity. Um, and we had a couple of really great wins, one digital customer facing and one kind of internal in the way the business works. Um, and and the, the one about the way the business works was when the pandemic hit. Um, the stem cell register relies on people joining the register and, and being prepared to donate their stem cells for someone in need of life-saving transplant. Um, but when the pandemic hit, we didn't know whether the income would stop coming in and could we afford to do all the testing and DNA typing. Uh, the ability to uh, prioritise which of those donors we typed and in which sequence and made sure that we could, we could manage our, our money coming in and money going out, we'd just never done before. We, we made changes to the process in about three or four days. And, and the reason that's interesting is because two years earlier, that would have taken six months. Um, the organisation wouldn't have, just wouldn't have entertained the idea of making changes to core business processes so quickly. Yeah. So it was a real change in the way of, of thinking and the way of working, but also having the tech stack to be able to, to change quickly, monitor the data. Is it giving us the output that we want? If not, change it, tweak it and continuously evolve. So it shows it can be done quickly if everyone gets behind it. Yeah, I, there are two key, well, there are more than two, there are two key components. There's the culture, yeah. right? Yeah, the culture. Ways of working and thinking yeah. and behaviour. And then there's the technology. Yeah. So, uh, so you could have the best culture in the world and everyone being really dynamic and agile. You know, get, get the, the board of Netflix on, on, yeah. into your organisation and they go, great, let's do this. And go, we can't. Yeah. We can't yeah. because our technology is a monolith or, or uh, it's 25 years old or so-and-so is on holiday. He's the only one who knows how it works. <laughs> so you've got to have the tech there, but also the car. And if you haven't got both of those, you can't do it. The pan pandemic helped us, though. I mean, it helped helped massively in everyone having to move to be online. Mm. So I think in in 
you know, decade ago or before the uh, pandemic, people wouldn't have understood how you can really transform an organisation to use technology to work remote, to work mm. in different time zones, to actually do jobs that would have taken a decade to try and convince people. So I think that really helped technology. It's gone backwards, I think, a bit since then. Um, so we still need to come back to how we're then using technology to make a business change. I, yeah, I want to build on that. So I think what we see with clients is that there's such a huge shift yeah. post-pandemic. So many clients kind of went like, oh, we can, well, we can do this. And they have to. And there's, now there's momentum yeah. and learning behind it. Because I think for um, more traditional businesses, it's just so hard to take on the risk of change. Uh, and this showed that actually, you know, you can when you need to. So there is this huge momentum that is, you know, we find talking to clients going from, um, you know, saying that digitalization or digital transformation is important to actually it being one of the top agendas for real. And that's a huge difference. And for ourselves as a business as well, so we're a consultancy business, digital product consultancy elsewhere, um, we moved working completely remote. So we're 100% remote. All of our tools and processes are digital. Uh, the way that we deliver value to our customers is changed completely. We're, you know, we're so much in the digital space now, using remote collaboration tools, asynchronous work, and all of that stuff. It's uh, really kind of created the digital infrastructure for our business, and we see that kind of growing with clients at a much larger scale. It's very interesting. Mm. Robert, come on on this. Just share your experiences. What's been successful in your business digitally? Certainly, I enjoy listening to everyone else uh, share their stories. Um, Robert Sheasley, CIO, Wrench Group. Um, happy to join you today. Um, I think one of the things that we were very successful with is this idea of process engagement, process engineering. So, you know, our go-to um, messaging around our digital transformation, which really started in 2018 when I joined the organization as CIO, we focused predominantly on the employee and our business operations in 2018, 2019, and 2020. And then we turned our attention to digitizing the consumer experience or digital digitalizing the consumer experience in 2021-2022. Success uh, has been the idea of process re-engineering or process redesign as it relates to moving manual or even um, some computing capabilities, but with disparate uh, solutions and platforms onto core platforms. So the process component of that and when I joined the organization, I brought in a process and architect who has been wonderful and has really educated our business stakeholder on this idea of process re-engineering um, as we deliver a new digital technology. And our, our go-to journey is stabilize, optimize, transform, disrupt. So we pick uh, business lanes, right, or, 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 or call, call them value uh, journeys, and at every at any point in time, we may be in stabilize, optimize, transform, disrupt, depending on which journey we want to talk about. So I think the process component and the ability to redesign those processes and communicate to the business stakeholder community how their world will change with the introduction of new digital computing platforms has been very successful. So let's talk, we've spoken success, let's talk about missed opportunities or failures. What's the most likely reason 
for that to happen in your organisation, Jackie? I mean, you mentioned culture, was that? Yeah, culture is a, is a big thing. And also, I think what you have to recognise is it's a journey and that journey is different for every single individual in your organisation. So if you look at digital maturity, um, the expectation over where people are starting is all different. So you have to look at how you then do the transformation. And again, that's not really the technology side. It's how you're changing fundamentally what someone's role is in an organisation. So one of the things to focus on is enter processes as, as, as uh, we've talked about so if you look at end-to-end process and everyone understanding the role within that but also then how you're training how you're providing training how you're improving the digital skills within your within your staffing across the organization not in technology although some of those need to change I think it's again that gets missed um, the assumption that when you implement some sort of system that basically you have solved the problems of the processes by putting in technology that doesn't solve it um, because ultimately it's down to human beings and that and it's the human beings that have to understand and also embrace it so when you get those people who are super excited really build on that build on the positives and that's how you try to prevent some of the failures that you see there's definitely something about discipline uh, so yeah. uh, Robert mentioned process architecture and uh, there's this you need your capability and you need your culture and the risk is if you have the right tech and you can adapt and you can innovate but you haven't got the right culture yeah. chaos then ensues because yeah. <laughs> everyone's trying to do their thing more efficiently oh, I, I can automate this thing and what we have to remember especially when we talk about digital is the customer yeah. and the customer expects that your organization is one entity mm. they come to organization X and they have an experience, they have a service. And if I've already told you my shoe size, mm -hmm. uh, you know my shoe size. Why are you asking me my shoe mm -hmm. size again? Um, but of course, organizations are made out of silos, silos and silos yeah. and silos. And we've got to change those, almost those um, vertical silos in the way organizations are run into these horizontal mm -hmm. value chains mm -hmm. into what the customer experiences. So that shift of understanding the customer need and that customer journey. Mm -hmm. And of course, just to make it even more complicated, every customer is different and there's a perfectly personalized experience for every <laughs> single one of them. Um, that's a level of maturity taking it too far. And, 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 and I think we need to manage our expectations. I really like those four steps from, yeah. from stabilize all the way to disrupt because if you try and go, we've got to disrupt the industry and we've got to be personal, hyper-personalized journeys, <laughs> yeah. you're just not going to get there. You, you've got to start with stabilizing first and then slowly build your maturity, build your culture, build your capability, and bit by bit, all the pieces got to build this Jenga tower that doesn't fall over. Uh, otherwise, you're one of those horrible 80% that fail. Robert, come in on this, because I'm interested to know, from your perspective, the most likely reason for missed opportunities or failures within the company. Indeed, I, I, and the people component is so important. And, you know, I, I would say that the missed opportunities, and, and you know, this goes back to other uh, experiences I've had in my career as well, the, the lack of attention given to organizational change management. So this whole idea of the psychology of change, um, you know, people don't like change. Um, and you can certainly sit and talk about the value that you're going to get with this change, with this new system, et cetera. But until they can feel it, see it, touch it, uh, it, 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 it's not something that is readily embraced. Um, you're, you're, you're changing my routine. Um, even though we know that a lot of what we're bringing to the business stakeholder community is good um, 
And, and we always lead with don't let perfection be the enemy of good. And I think that's another area of failure that we've seen where we've tried to do too much or try to be perfect in our delivery of new technology to the business community. I will say that, you know, I go back to something I learned in persuasive speaking in my junior year in college. Tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. And I think you can kind of wrap that around the introduction of new systems and technology is tell them what they're going to get, show them what they're going to get. So training, et cetera, and then remind them, you know, it's not over once you, you know, your ta-da moment of uh, implementation go live. You have to remind them and you have to refine the use of the new technology in ways that is non-threatening. And, um, you know, it's, 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 we're, you know, we're here to help. Um, even after the go live in the celebration uh, moment. Leon, do you want to pick up? Yeah, that really resonates because yeah. I think the two points made, one about kind of focusing the user, the other one is culture. And I think culture for me is commitment. It's commitment for the organization to really go for it and really stand for what needs to be done. And a lot of times it's that move away from focusing on the technology or the process, to focusing on the customer. And I would argue as well, focusing on the internal user and treating them as a customer. Absolutely. So basically, what do these people actually need? Solve the problems that they have, give them tools that they love using. And then everything else needs to be aligned. And that's the commitment because the customer doesn't care. He presses a button. It doesn't care that it rips through three systems or four systems. Nobody cares. They just have a bad experience and you burn them and you lost money or, you know. Yeah. So for an organization that is not used to doing that, and there's a lot of industries where it's a very difficult transition to say the customer comes first, which seems like an obvious thing, uh, I think that's a super important area to focus on. I mean, we've touched on this slightly, but then as a technology leader, what does it tell you about the challenges involved in planning for the future and having a, a roadmap, if you like? So I think most of us will have roadmaps because it's a it's a thing now. So it's standard. People expect your roadmap. I think it's um, it's it's larger than having a roadmap. It's about understanding that it's continual change. Um, that now the way we implement technology is very different to the way we used to implement it before. You, it would be a big bang, a massive implementation. Now it's more continuous development. So you start with a minimal viable product, MVP. People are now <laughs> getting used to what that term is. You're starting using different language, <coughs> but you start off with the basics and start, then start evolving that. So again, as an organization, when you're looking at how you're using that as a, as a service provider, how, how you have to get used to how it's continually changing the service you're providing. And ultimately, what does that mean to the member of staff and what does that mean to your customer? Um, you've only got to look at like Amazon. I mean, Amazon's making changes all the time. We don't get notified just suddenly there's something new functionality on there. So adding functionality and features becomes normal, becomes what of someone's job is to get used to that change constantly. Robert, you're nodding. I, the, the MVP comment, you know, that's something that we've adopted. We've, been, we've even extended that to minimal shippable product um, and, and added that to our lexicon. Um, and I think uh, what was discussed here and mentioned about um, the customer, right? Look, you know, the voice of the customer is, 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 is unique in all circumstances with respect to satisfying business needs and business requirements. You know, for, for the longest time, um, and we're not at the level of maturity where I've introduced this yet, but this idea of business architecture, 
understanding the relationships between the business processes and capabilities and the technology that people are using. And then again, I think you have to show them. You have to show them before you deliver anything, um, whether that's some sort of simulated um, uh, pilot project or it's even a logical view of what they are about to see and receive as a piece of technology and how that's going to change their world for the better. Yeah, one of our key principles is show, don't tell. Yeah. So being <laughs> yes. able to show people what yeah. is going to be happening, ex describe it visually, let them play with it, let, it tr let them try it. Yeah. It's a huge amount of learning there, I think. It's, uh, yeah, it's a very important principle um, to, to make things more, more successful. We're, we're trying to break um, behaviors that have been yeah. created over 30, 40 years. Yeah. Um, based on legacy principles. So uh, minimum viable product, for example, is always met with fear unless yeah. you've got a mature organization because you've trained people to only ever get a delivery once. Yeah. So you say, I'm going to deliver you something without all those things that you really want. And <laughs> yeah. they go, well, that's not good. That's not acceptable. Yeah, I don't want that. And I said, well, every feature you add is going to delay it. And, and um, show, don't tell. Yeah. The, the fact is, what you've got to do is you say, well, we could go live with this now. We'll go, we're going to continue. Once they've started to experience that iterative, continuous improvement journey, they start to love it. Then the rest of the organization starts to look and go, yeah. we want some of that. Because they yeah. expect you to deliver and run because yeah. Yeah. you're delivering for them. <laughs> I'm not sure they love it, Danny. <laughs> no, no, they, they, they expect it. They don't love it. No, no, they love the, uh, the continuous improvement. And they love actually, it when they can eventually see it. Once they start to get that continuous yeah. improvement, yeah. They, they really do, genuinely. Yeah. So I think that's the other yeah. bit. And then the other, the, the bit about the kind of the roadmap and what's going to come, yeah. I don't know. It's my, fee, my three favorite words in any board meeting. <laughs> and they go, well, how much is it going to cost? I don't know. I don't know. And, and, yeah. and what's it going to look? I don't know. When are you at least going to have no idea? Yeah. Let's just get through this year. Yeah. So this Let's is the commitment from the that. business of being yeah. able yeah. to um, work within the constraints of technology. And it's just, you know, it's impossible to understand yeah. something that is so complex. And organization needs to go through a growth period to go yeah. like, I'm okay with that. I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm relaxed and I trust your... You well, know. and they know what doesn't work. So, yeah, so I find that. that when I say, <laughs> have you had a plan before? Have you had a budget before? Did it deliver? No. Okay, so why do you think the plan I'm going to give you and the budget I'm going to give you is suddenly going to magically deliver when it hasn't delivered in the last three iterations? So let's just try it a little bit different. Let's commit yeah. to the change that you're trying to make, you know, those, yeah. those, that vision, those outcomes, and let's invest. And then once you get a delivery, say, was that investment worth that change? If it's a yes, keep going. If it's a no, well, what can we do differently? Mm. And, and, yeah. and then once you get yeah. into the year one, year two, then it becomes business as usual. But that is hard to do. I do think it's changing the way we approach. Again, I've, I'm thinking in my head, oh, I have to speak to the finance director. They want to know how much money um, is needed. So again, that, that um, culture of trying to understand exactly what you're delivering, how much it's going to cost and what the business outcomes are going to be is quite sort of looking at big, big cha uh, change and look at the scale of that. So again, that's changed. So I think what we're trying to do now is the design bit that you've talked about where they can go and play around happens early on. It's not after you've already built it and you've just got to get used to it. And 
that's now go and play and see if you can use it. Actually, when you're trying to design what the solution needs to be, that happens up front. But also we've now moved more into doing discovery phases. So now every single project that I kick off has a discovery phase where we're trying to work out exactly what it is that we're trying to do and how we're going to do it rather than, I know that's the direction, I know the solution, I know how it's going to work. I don't know those answers yet. So then you start phasing how you deliver technology right from the beginning with, with users in the room right at the start. And some of those users might be customers. Again, the people who are actually going to have to use the, use the technology need to be involved right at the beginning. So let's talk about how you change a failure into a success, how you learn from that and make sure that it doesn't happen again in the future. Leon's smiling at me. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think it's really connected to what was said here. I think that you need to sometimes, and we, I spoke to somebody outside about this, you need to sometimes experience horrendous failure. And once you know, once you do that as an organization, you you kind of understand that you have to do it differently. And sometimes it's cybersecurity. Sometimes yeah. it's like humongously grotesque, overpromising, underdelivering, shareholders disappointment. You have to go sometimes through as a business through a shock, where you go like, okay, I'm actually going to listen to this guy next time, uh, you know. And I think that's that's the best way of turning around and turning the failure into a success. I think that that relates to crisis. Yeah, so yeah. change, yeah. true change comes from true crisis. Um, but crisis and change creates fatigue, which is why yeah. iteration yeah. and innovation is kind of slowing down now mm. because people are yeah. exhausted. Um, so there is that crisis, which is don't let a good crisis you know, go to waste, yeah. certainly. Mm. But, but it's also... I think it's difficult we talk about celebrating failure, but it's really hard because when someone makes a mistake, they want to—they're they're embarrassed about it. And how do you, how do you change that? How do you find the good? It's it's tricky to do. Certainly, the big failures, you yeah. can really yeah. leverage those. Well, if you look at yeah. so some of our clients, we work with um, very sophisticated clients on one side, uh, big tech companies and traditional, uh, uh, more traditional kind of corporates. And one of the big differences is that um, the uh, the big tech clients sometimes would shove a project that cost millions of pounds yeah. and just go, it didn't work, Yeah, move on, you know? And do, being able to do that is a huge change in how organization invests in technology, how it works with technology. And, yeah. Yeah. A lot of companies don't have that luxury. They're I was going to ask that. I, was gonna I mean, say, financially yes. or whatever, that does yeah. sound like a luxury, doesn't it? That is a luxury. Um, it is a luxury for some, yeah. but it also is not a luxury for a lot of companies within also within their scale, but they just need to go through that change process internally and say some of the investment is not going to pan out because it's very complex. It's and it's better to do that than not invest. And that can be at different scales. Yeah. But it's maturity, yeah. Yeah, right? It's, because yeah. it's, it's mature to go, that's a sunk cost. I'm not going to keep stringing it out. Mm. It's not going to work rather yeah. than I'm not going to lose face. You know, you're not deciding whether to throw away those millions. You've already thrown them away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, do you keep throwing more millions at them? It's like sitting through a it? cinema uh, movie that you hate. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you do that? A lot of people. <laughs> Why would you do that? Robert, come in on this because it's interesting to know, isn't it, how you would view turning a failure into a future success? Certainly, we, we've incorporated, and, and thank you. Uh, I love the commentary. Um, We've, we've incorporated after action reviews into our initiatives. So we always look back on what happened um, from conception to delivery. Um, 
and we evaluate ourselves. And when I say we, it's not just the team, not just the IT team, but we include the business community in those after action reviews. And then we take from that things that did not go well, failures, and we try to solution what we can do in the future. One of the area, one of the things that we've implemented recently, um, someone mentioned discovery phase. Our discovery phase in the past has been pretty light. Um, but one thing we discovered recently is we did a, a very thorough, my business architect, did a very thorough process gap impact analysis and uh, or a process impact analysis, essentially uh, uh, analyzing the processes and you know uh, documenting the impact those processes will have with the introduction of this new technology or system or, 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 or data tool, what have you. And then having that information going into discovery makes the conversation and the process of discovery that much more rich. Um, we found that having that process impact analysis done prior to discovery gives us a lot more to talk about um, and going a level deeper during the discovery phase so that we have a greater um, sense of understanding of the scope. Um, someone mentioned the word commitment uh, previously. Doing that has also uh, translated that, you know, strengthened that commitment from the business community because we're talking their language in a more intelligent way, knowledgeable way about their processes. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with that, but I do think um, we can do process design um, to death. Um, and, and lots of times you understand the process. Some things fail because of data. So there isn't enough focus on getting underlying data accurate. So it doesn't matter how good your process design is if you haven't sorted out your underlying data structures and how to get it um, right first time, how you then do all your integrations. So a lot of processes fail because you don't have the right information coming through, whatever, it doesn't matter what process you've got, what, how many systems you're integrating. Um, that's where I see a lot of challenges. So again, when you look at transformations, whatever they are with the complexities you've got, you've also got to look at how you're getting accurate information right at the start and how you're feeding that through all the different processes that you've then designed. And that's a key thing. I concur with that. I think that's a really important thing. To, and thank you for sharing that. We have a work stream called data normalization in all of our projects. And what that means is making sure what was just stated, that the information that will be used by the new technology um, and the existing processes that will translate to the new processes or adapted processes, we have a work stream that's just focused on data normalization. I think also when we talk about failure, <clears throat> it's a tra it's about <clears throat> in order to normalize it, you don't want catastrophic failure, the mm -hmm. space rocket blowing up going, there's a lot of learnings in, th in that one. <laughs> it's trying to make it smaller and smaller and smaller. So for example, you could do a project and then have a post-project review or a post-mortem or a pre-mortem, um, but that's big, that's heavy. You want those retrospectives on a continuous basis. Yeah. Um, I recently met a, a jet fighter pilot, Mandy Hickson, and she was saying every single flight she has ever taken, whether it's a training flight or a mission flight, every single one is followed by a retrospective. Yeah. They land and they go, what happened? What went well? What could we do better next time? Every single time, because it absolutely normalizes, we could make that a little bit better. Um, and I think once you make that a, a habit, then you don't have to worry about, oh, it's a failure, but it's a good thing, but it's a failure. And it just becomes normal going, how can we do it better next time? Yeah. 
Sorry. Aviation industry is one of the yeah. top industries yeah. implementing that. The, the reason we fly yeah. so safely yeah. because, it's because they've been doing yeah. that. Yeah. From, yeah. And even but, that goes wrong from mm. time to time. <laughs> which I think you know, it's easier in certain... For cultural, yeah. For yeah. cultural reasons with Boeing. Yeah. The, the last yeah. Boeing thing was right. a yes. software disaster. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It was a yeah. software shortcut, it basically, was, yeah. that yeah. the business would not wait which for the solution to be done. Yeah. Let's talk about what traditional organizations can learn from companies that have started a digital journey. And you look at the challenges which you've outlined over the last 20 minutes or so. What advice would you give to those traditional organizations that haven't started on that digital journey yet? Um, do you know what? I don't really think that, again, like post-COVID, I don't yes. think there's many organizations yeah. left that haven't started something. something. Mm. The, uh, the, 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 kind of the ones that did uh, um, uh, and didn't do anything before COVID, certainly post-COVID, have, uh, have moved uh, through a piece of change. But I think one of the things uh, to, again, to focus on, I think one of the very important things is metrics, being able to measure things. And this is, again, a huge cultural change. And what we see with uh, the more sophisticated clients is that you can really look at a piece of UI being changed or a feature shipped, and you can trace it all the way up to the CEO. And that's a huge change of how organizations thinks about value, how it measures it, and uh, um, I wish more organizations would do that. And you know, in the end of the day, it's all profit or cost yeah, reduction, yeah. right? But yeah. it's uh, being able to create those metrics going up, I think is super, super important to make some of these transformations more successful. I think we don't know how to measure. I mean, we yeah. don't we don't know how to measure. So if you're if you're looking at, and there are lots of sectors that don't have um, that information to start with, and, and we're in a similar sector. Um, it's it's very traditional. It's been going for centuries. So again, if you look at the um, journey that organisations have to go on at the moment, where they're doing digital transformation around having to uh, change the way they operate for COVID, um, that's done one thing. But again, understanding the metrics you need to have in place and how important the data is to be able to measure things that's not seen as a top priority it's really getting the basics in so I think first of all um, you have to really understand what you're trying to do as a business technology is part of that but also make sure you have technologists and business people together you, you can't go away and design a, a, a business strategy and then go oh and I'll bring the technology people in or I'll bring whatever it needs to be together and it's together that you get the innovation and the transformation and if you work in partnership you get one roadmap that's a business roadmap that's got technology as an integral part of it. Yeah, I, 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 without repeating data, 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 yeah, data, data, um, data. fundamentally, but also knowing, yeah. knowing where you're going. So what does yeah. what does good look like? And and I, I was I was going to say when I started my career, the question you would ask yourself is what would Jack Bauer do? Now you ask <laughs> what would. We say what would Elon Musk do? Maybe not. What no. would Tesla do? <laughs> maybe, you know, yeah, how would maybe. Tesla address that problem? How would SpaceX address that problem? Yeah. Um, how would they think about it differently? How would they? impact the, the the value that's being delivered to the customer. Yeah, I think this is very interesting. The, the not having digital or IT as a silo, yeah. being it part of the business. And this is like, when I got my Tesla, I was like, this is computer wheels. This is computer wheels. Technology yeah. is completely embedded, like yeah. digital is completely embedded in this fairly old-fashioned yeah. manufacturing It's a computer with a car item. around it, isn't it? it is. Rather than a yeah. car with a computer. Yeah, it's a computer <laughs> yeah, on wheels, you know, and so many yeah. things are going to be computers on something. Mm. That's, I think, where, where it's and, all going, and businesses yeah. have to 
You look at your mechanic now, your mechanic has, <laughs> you know, completely changed skill sets to be able to service a car now. It's all electronics. Robert? So I think the question was, is, um, you know, what would you tell organizations that haven't yet started on this journey? And I concur. I think there are very few left because, you know, a decade ago or more, um, some of the digital transformation capabilities were cost prohibitive for the small business or even the medium sized business. But now there are so many solutions and vendors and partners out there that are introducing uh, computing platforms, digital um, solutions to both the small business and mid-tier business, mid-market. Um, I think what, what if, if someone hasn't yet taken that leap or, or, or dipped their toe in that end of the pool yet, I would tell them, you know, I, I go back to the, you know, the, you know, I love Simon Sinek and I love, you know, the golden circle and we use it all the time and in our messaging and I remind our C-suite about our why. They know the why, but it's good to be reminded and have the conversation. But the why and the what stay the same for the most part um, as you contemplate digital transformation. It's the how that you have to understand the changes to the how and what that means. And maybe it introduces new what's um, as you, you know, introduce new digital um, technology into your organization. But I would I would say that if you can ground um, your thinking as an organization that may not have yet dove into that pool, um, you know, make sure your why and your what are, are strong and are aligned and look at closely at how you do things today and contemplate the future, right? Because once you land on the future how, revisit the what, make sure your how is in alignment with the what and the why. And, you know, we could talk about business architecture, and I think that that term was mentioned previously as well, understanding the capabilities of the organization and what digital technology can help transform those capabilities, improving the maturity of what, you know, what you do is very important. Well, listen, it's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much, Danny, Jackie, Leon and uh, Robert. Thank you all so much for joining us at the studio. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.